My top five podcasters, Chris, 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 Chris Lambert, and probably myself, but this ain't about that. The mundane festival is where you at. If you've been tapped in, you know what's up. If you're a first timer, hey, welcome to the club. The cost of admission is simply a subscription. Then rating and reviewing it wherever you listen. Don't worry about change ups, the cast won't break up. Even with that million dollar contract, show up a stand up guy who's a stand up comedian with a stance on everything from food to media. So, welcome to the show. Please take your seat. Let's find out what he's got in store this week. Who, me? I'm Don. Will you open the app? Thanks for coming out. Please clap. The Mundane Festival with your host, Chris Lambert. everybody welcome back to another edition of the mundane festival podcast i'm your host christopher a lamberth recording this episode for sunday january 28th 2024 remember as always you can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening apparatus if you're really into this thing go over to apple Podcasts or wherever you listen give this show a five-star review let everybody know why you like it because it's simply the right thing to do and if you would like to take your love and appreciation of this show to an even deeper level go over to patreon.com slash mundane festival and subscribe it's three bucks a month for hours and hours and hours of bonus content this is episode 700 a special milestone i'm not alone thank god i'm experiencing one of my i don't know if this is a, it's not a flu game it's just a sickness it's just a yearly sickness that I get. Uh, but I'm not alone, thank God. I have one of the greats. I call him the beige goat, one of your favorite guests on my show. Um, you know him, you love him. He's the the writer, the producer of Half Blackface, uh, the newly revamped Rain on Your Parade podcast. Uh the 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 what's the trump one making podcasts great again making podcasts great again you can catch him where can you catch him you can catch him at catch a rising star this week uh in uh, princeton new jersey february 2nd and 3rd february 9th at the sun 9th through 10th at the sunshine comedy club down in st pete's st pete beach in florida it's J.L. Covan. How the hey, hell are you, sir? I'm great. I, I'm, I'm here to be like your Scotty Pippen holding you up. Oh, my God. In that photo yeah. of Jordan and Pippen after the flu game. I AKA should've... the Utah food poisoning game. <laughs> <laughs> I should have uh, wore my Jordan 12s while I um, did this episode, but I, I'm just sticking for my bedroom shoes. How the hell are you, man? I'm all right. You know, uh, New Year, same me. Just, uh, you know, trying to try to find some some corner of happiness while I'm still here. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? You know? Yeah, I I just I, I think 
the the pandemic obviously it was a it was a, a an earth changing moment and for me it seemed like a good moment you know it obviously broadened my my reach as a comedian but it's it's you know i can't tell if it's just being you know in my 40s now or the pandemic or both where i'm just sort of like i think about my mortality a lot more and like what the hell am i doing like like i end up bummed at the end of most days just cuz i'm like what did I do with today? Like yeah. I read, I I maybe went to the gym. I, I wrote, maybe I wrote something and said to myself like, okay, okay, tomorrow I'm going to get cracking on these like two big projects I want to get done in 2024. And then I don't. And I just sort of like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't have a day job right now. And I think this fits my personality perfectly where it's like, I'm my most productive when I have a day job on other things because mm. I want to escape the day job. So like my mind is like racing for something else to do. And I'm very productive with my four hours a day when I have a day job, when I have the whole day, I just kind of like lounge around and like read and maybe write some, but I'm not like the focus is just not there. So I end up each day just kind of going, what the, what the fuck am I doing? Like what, yeah. what am I doing? <laughs> Dude, that I think the pandemic and, and you losing a parent. Uh, I mean, you lost your dad a, a few years back. I think it just made me think about, oh, what what do I want? I have the things that I that I love doing as an artist and and everything like that, but it's not everything, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like it's just like what it's just being a more complete person, and that that made me think about that stuff. Obviously, the pandemic in and of itself makes you question your life. And um, yeah, I think it just, I think it all just makes you think about what's going on. How am I contributing? Am I leaving this place better than, what is it leaving the place in a better, uh, in better shape than it was right. when I got here? Well, this, that's this the week. You touch. Yeah, this week, uh, just a quick plug, obviously, for my Patreon, but the book review I'm posting, one of the two books I'm reviewing, is this book from 2003 called Mountains Beyond Mountains. And I bought it only a couple of years ago because it's about this guy, Dr. Paul Farmer, who passed away at like 62, I want to say, a few years ago, either during or right before the pandemic, I think of cancer. But he is a guy like this, like generational talent, I guess is the term, but in the medical field. Um, he was like a Harvard educated doctor who basically was like maniacal about doing good and was like very involved in, in building a clinic in Haiti and helping with like tuberculosis. And I want to say Peru, but he is this like legendary medical figure. And I only learned about him when I saw his obituary and reading a book like that, like, you know, the thought that the term that came to mind was like, he's built different. Mm -hmm. And it's like in, in a real way, in a, you know, like to his core, not just kind of like, oh, you know, like the slang term, but like, sure. this is a dude who was like, he, he, he like couldn't stop. Like he could, like, he was just like, there are people, there are sick people who cannot afford basic medicine. I am going to like do everything I can to like give my talents and, and, and my, my network to get and, and it was just it's like you read a book like that and you go oh wow even if i was doing everything i want to do and like feeling like i was accomplishing something you know 
that's somebody who will make you feel like eh, you're not, you're not either not doing enough or you're not doing as much as you should. Um, yeah, there's always people like that. I mean, it's just, yeah. what is it? Shoot, shoot for the moon, end up with the stars sort of thing. Yeah. Which is completely, uh, astronomically incorrect. Yeah. But, but <laughs> no, no, thing, I know, I know. But in that, in that pursuit, you kind of like, even what is it? Uh, Kendrick Lamar had this record, uh, called, I want to be heard. And he said something like, I used to want to be like Jay-Z until I realized that Jay-Z wasn't me. So in the pursuit of like finding or following your heroes or being trying to be like someone, um, you kind of find yourself in a lot of ways. Sure. And that's that's kind of what I. I think the journey with the journey with stand up has helped me a lot. I mean, I'd be even. You know, stand up takes us through the dungeon in a lot of ways. The way you know, you you the way we lose people, your your eating habits or your drug addictions and all these dark corners and all the negativity that you know we had we lost some comics towards the end of uh, last year and early this year, and it just you know you lose people to addictions and whatnot but it it's also a beautiful thing too because you are trying to make people laugh you're you're and then you're in that pursuit you're finding out a lot about yourself too and it makes you i don't know it's made help make me a more complete person and it makes me like i don't know um self-evaluate things i mean therapy helps too obviously but mm-hmm you know, I just think a lot of times people we we as comics can can shit on our profession in a lot of ways, but it 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 does it is pretty helpful sometimes too. I think. Yeah, if I had a sliding doors moment though, it would be when my college and law school girlfriend had told me um, that she thinks that she thought I should see a therapist that I was depressed, uh-huh. and instead I went to an open mic, <laughs> and <laughs> I I genuinely wonder how my life would definitely be different and possibly better if I had not uh, spent my entire adult life trying to uh, be liked and be happy through comedy instead of just being like, why am why at 23 am I bummed out and like not getting out of bed and drinking too much? Why, why is that? Oh, never mind. Hey, I made some strangers laugh. Looks like I'm not depressed anymore. Was that a, you? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever mentioned that before. Not not I know you've mentioned the depression before, but the trying to be liked. That never when I think of well, you just knowing you for going on 15 16 years, I didn't I never thought the that about The one thing you. a lot of people say about me is JL does not seem like he cares about being liked. We <laughs> <laughs> um, no we've, from yeah, go ahead. I think for me, it's not like it's sort of a chicken and the egg. You can't kind of pick which came first. But, you know, comedy throughout my life has 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 operated maybe as a coping mechanism, just being funny. Like, sure. I'm not talking about like doing stand up comedy, being funny. And, I, you know, whether it was making my my mom laugh, which was like an easy way to like have her not lose her temper as a right. child. Or in college, like when I when I first got to Williams, I was I was very much not liked by by my team mm. until I made all of them laugh with like impressions and stuff. And 
you know, it's one of those things. I think I've said this in the past, like on a, on a podcast, but it was one of those things where I go, I was confusing making people laugh with making people having friends. Um, they can be friendly. And I, of course, made some friends. But you start to think like if I make people, you know, I know how laughter makes me feel like I like a person who makes me laugh. So if I'm making all these people laugh, they must they must like me as a person. They must like mm-hmm. care or be invested in me as a person. And then you learn not even in a bad way, not even in a because the, the deepest betrayals have been from like people who are long, deep friends. But you start to kind of confuse entertaining somebody with like they're my friend. And sometimes those overlap, but often they don't. And, um, you know, it's that's that's just sort of a trial and error, long term, long term sort of discovery by me. And it's not even a that's not even really a complaint, but I have used humor has always given me the the feeling of having people like me or having friends, um, even if that was sometimes uh, deceptive. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's just um you know, it's, it's helpful in dating, obviously making, making, making women laugh. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, but as I watch, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm about to finish season six of friends, which, uh, which I'm, which I've only seen a couple of seasons 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I see Chandler, obviously Matthew Perry died tragically, but, but that character he said in his memoir was very much kind of like him sort of like always going for the joke because that's like that's an easy way to get feedback that feels like acceptance or friendship like it's a very it's not the same thing but it but it shares a lot of the same dna like hey look that guy's laughing or that woman is laughing and going like put touching your shoulder going oh my god you're so funny and you're like yeah that feels like 98 percent of what i want out of life (laughs) sure that other two percent is the substance and the depth Mm -hmm. but like yeah. Oh, wow. You're so funny. Oh, you're great. Oh, JL just showed up. Oh yeah. I love him. He's so funny. Or, Oh, that's my buddy. Like he's, Oh, you got to do the thing. You got to do the thing. And, and it all seems like it's like a chimpanzee and a human, like they're very different, but they actually share, you know, 97% of the same DNA. And that's sort of making people laugh and making people be your friends, I think are like very similar in that respect. Like they share so much, but they are there are important differences between those two things. Yeah, and I I did the audiobook of that on your recommendation on you talking about that cuz that was one that I was interested in especially now that he passed and him just talking about wanting and then even Gary Goldman just mm. wanting the love his last special just wanting the love of your parents. Mm-hmm. Or there's something missing where it's just like, hey, ma, look at me, you know, yeah, yeah. Or the him and Matthew Perry talking about being an unaccompanied, unaccompanied minor and like, yeah, and it's it was just like all that, all that money, all that money and success just, just, it, it didn't help it. And yeah, it's it's it, the, the Matthew Perry thing was really felt tragic was yeah. it was tragic, of course, mm-hmm. but it was like he was so open in the book. Right. And where it was like he's. You know, he's saying like oh, it, it ends kind of hopeful, unfortunately, where it's like yeah. a guy like him, famous with tons of money, he doesn't he can still find a wife who's 
young enough to have kids and like, like, and he clearly wanted that and kind of had done the work to kind of be in a place where he's like, well, now what I want is to not be alone and to find somebody and to have a, you know, right. And, you know, for some people, you you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're not worth $200 million and famous, you maybe can't make that choice. It's 58 years old, but he Mm -hmm. seemed like he would have been able to do that. But yeah, you know, he really, I mean, the drinking and the drive. I mean, he was lit. He was like the smoke, even the, even just listening, reading about him, how much he smoked, forget the mm-hmm. drugs. Now, even just smoking, he was like insanely off the charts. Like, you know, this was like Motley Crue rock star level kind of addiction. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was wild. And then just the way that, I don't know, just the, the way that that success was, it's like you, and you still weren't happy. Yeah. And he did reconnect with his parents, but it just still wasn't. It sucks, sad, because yeah. and it just makes you think, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, well, I'm my addiction. See, nobody, as I joked on, keep my enemies closer, which it's hard to believe that album came out over ten years ago now. <laughs> one of your one of your your seminal uh, pieces. Yes, uh, and and. I joke about how when you're addicted to sugar, when you just can't stop eating snacks and cookies and 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 chocolate and cakes, nobody just steps in. People will just go, dude, you got to lose weight. But nobody is like, man, are you all right? And I'm not yeah. asking for that kind of sympathy. But like if no. I was an alcoholic, I would have had to have gotten help. Right. If I was a drug addict, I would have had to get help. And people would have been like, wow, man, that's brave. Like you're taking the right steps, man. That's brave. But when you're like coping with, you know, I think, yes, eating chocolate chip cookies to excess is better than doing heroin or drinking a bottle of vodka, but right. it does do damage and it makes you feel worse. And it does, you know, it's, it's, it's the same, it's a similar sort of thing, but people, you know, just won't, won't, you won't have a cookie intervention. <laughs> no, you're just fat. And they talk, <laughs> talk to you or any, yeah, I know I, I live that life and I'm, you know, but it's, yeah, it's because you want to be here. It's just like, shit, I want to be around a little longer. Cool things are happening. And yeah. you, know, you want to be there for it. And you want other people to care about you. And it's just, yeah, it's because I think about that sometimes. The, I call it the Willie Loman syndrome, like wanting to be well-liked. Yeah. You know, we went to see the show together. And that was, um, he he was under the delusion of like, thinking he was well liked or wanting to be or and i think about that i mean you want to be you want to be liked in your industry your in your field but at, at what cost i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm gonna quote chas palmentary right now because i obviously have my conflicted feelings about the comedy industry sure. i would rather be feared at this point than liked by the comedy world <laughs> okay expound well, I just, I don't, I don't, I know too much about this industry and the people who populate it at every level to mm-hmm. really, you know, I have my collection of friends and I have my collection of people I'm friendly with, but I, for the most part, from open mic level people to headliners, to, to bookers, to, to agents, I'm, I I don't, you know, not to put my Daniel Plainview hat on, but I don't like most people in this mm-hmm. in this business uh, for substantive reasons. I think it's I think it's 
unlike Hollywood, which is sort of the, the, you know, and the music industry, the cliches of bad people, of fake people are sort of so well known that you're on guard. Whereas comedy seems to, I, I think that veneer is finally coming off because there's so much bullshit and yeah. people getting elevated. It's like, oh, you have a million followers on TikTok. Here's a theater show. Who gives a shit if you're any good? Like, I think right. that, that we've, we can't even maintain the, the, the facade of this authentic art form of truth anymore. Mm-hmm. It is it has become a, a parody of itself where it's a bunch of people who are frauds constantly talking about themselves as free speech warriors and we have to offend and we have to do this. And it's like, but you're nothing. You're you're a fraud. You're a social climbing moron or not a great person. Or I said in a text chain with a few friends of ours recently, I was, I was in a particular mood and I said, I think most of the comedy population uh, falls somewhere between autistic and rapist. And that's basically <laughs> that's basically what you're dealing with in terms of character and social skills in yeah. the comedy world. And it's, uh, you know, I don't uh, it's it's no longer my concern whether I'm well liked. And I know that that makes, in my opinion, for good content and good art, but not necessarily uh, good business relations and good career advancement. But yeah, I, I'm who I am. I'm where I'm at. My stuff is my stuff. And, you know, I, like one example, I think I, I think I said it on a Patreon episode of mine because I didn't want it like all out in the world. But sure. I had three major headliners write reference letters or reference emails for me because it was required by this gig. They, they the person the the booker for this these various clubs was was not even writing me back, like letting me know what the requirements were until I kind of stumbled on them. So I did everything that was asked of me. And I had three headliners that wouldn't even work any of their rooms. Like this is how big, you know, these are, these are big people. Talking about that. Yeah. And like, when I say between the three of them, you're talking, you know, three HBO specials, three Netflix specials, and, you know, three comedy central specials. And I still haven't gotten a reply. Like, and I'm, and I'm talking about a club that has booked, friends of ours who are just being objective beneath me in terms of uh, social media reach credits, any metric you want to throw out there, not, not an insult to them. And I can't get a response. So when it gets to things like that, you just sort of go, well, all I, all I can do is the best I can do. And at least if I don't worry about the BS and being liked and and placating people, at least I can have my peace of mind and integrity on that and just say the work will speak for itself one way or the other. And if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. Or it's not, or if I'm not connected enough, I'm not connected, whatever the case may be. I just, I make my effort. I contact people for work. I keep writing. I keep putting out good stuff. Um, You know, and obviously a, a, you know, the fiasco of half blackface has been, you know, a particular sort of trauma in my in my career in terms of the poor timing of it, the poor work behind it, the 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 you know, so it's so I'm I'm in, I'm I'm at a in some ways a lower mood for the comedy industry than I've ever been, which is saying something, but I I just being liked is, is no, I don't want to be disliked and I don't want to like hurt people or do anything, obviously anything like that, or be cruel or mean to anybody. I just, I know too much about this business and the general character of, of so many people involved that it's like, here's, here's the comedy. 
if I have to kiss ass, I'd rather spend my time with my dog and my girlfriend and, and go on a trip or, or watch a movie at home than, than try to be something I'm not for people who, whose opinion I don't, uh, you know, particularly care for. You know, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I just want to be respected for my work. And I think I do have a lot of that from my peers. Mm -hmm. But I found it interesting that you said that about initially that's how you felt about being liked. And um, I did, that was kind of surprising to me to hear. But like, yeah, I, I think that's that's less conscious and more of like me sort of doing some self analysis, sure, like examining your life and saying, yeah. yeah, I think it was about like. And and, and this is in, in some ways a little bit of a knock on me where being funny is a shortcut to friendship, to feeling like you have friends. Like, in other words, oh, I don't have to put in as much like like some of my closest high school friends I fell out with because right after law school, we were all in the city and hey, you want to come meet us for happy hour? And I was like, well, I got a girlfriend and I got these open mics to get to. So like you guys, you guys come third. And that means mm -hmm. usually not at all. If you're trying to see a girlfriend, do some shows, go home, get ready for work the next day casual friend, you know, yeah. meetups with friends, you know, I took for granted and was like, I don't have to invest in that. These are lifelong friends. And it turns out like, like, you know, those, those bonds can be frayed, not even like in terms of arguments or, <laughs> or problems, but in terms of, oh, well, he doesn't hang out anymore. And then you go, you know, you go from probably being a best man at somebody's wedding to like five years later, you're at like the miscellaneous table at the wedding. Yeah. And so, if I'm doing some, some self-criticism, I obviously made choices of like, well, girlfriends and comedy are the bigger priorities than friendships. And, but if I can make people laugh and they want to hang out with me once in a while at a bar or like I go meet up once in a blue moon, but I may, I'm killing it and people are happy to see me and I'm, I'm, I'm making everybody laugh. Then you feel like you, Oh yeah, I've checked in as a friend. I've I've done my friendship duty, but you haven't really. You've you've done like you've shown up and like been cool, but you're not like investing in the friendship uh as much. So that like if I I, I can criticize myself on that too. Um, because when you think you're making people laugh and like, oh, they're happy to see you, you're like, okay, good, good, good. Then I'm good for another three months. I'm gonna continue to hang out with my girlfriend and travel for comedy, and that will eat up all my spare time. And you know, I think uh, that that was a failure on my part to sort of take for granted that fr long friendships could remain strong friendship. Oh, that's a bar <laughs> uh, could remain strong friendships without putting in uh, the, the the consistent work. And I, I feel the same way, man. It's I think it's a lifestyle we chose. It's almost like this uh, monastic life where you and it's not really trying to make it like this art form that we do is is you know up here you know but it's it's the life that we chose it's a very solitary life when you're on the road by yourself and it's not as fun as you as outsiders think it is as civilians might think it is it's fun to be on stage it's fun to be to actually, I want to lead to what I want to talk to you about next, but um, it's fun to do the job, but traveling and, and doing that stuff. San Francisco was at Sketchfest, and I got to see my best friend that I've known since first grade. He's an example because 
he's married. He's got two kids, beautiful wife who's a doctor. He's smart. They have a Tesla. I rode in the Tesla for the first time. Uh And uh, they're really sweet. And it's like, I don't get to spend that much time with him. Had I chose to be fully invested in corporate America and and have like a, a, a job that I was getting paid a lot of money, oh, I could fly out to see them three or four times a year. I could fly right. fly out to see my other close friend that lives in South Carolina. But those friendships still remain tight, but it's hard. And it's hard is where it's like, oh, well, I got to I got to get me a partner. I got to find somebody that's going to see and understand I, me, you know. I think and that's the other issue I've had throughout my life because it's it's kind of funny when you think back yeah i've been doing stand-up 20 years and that's like that's my my entire life outside of education like Mm -hmm. i I started towards the end of law school and it's been my entire like adult life if you want to count i was obviously an adult in law school but like after education is like now fully independent life has been comedy and you know, there were years where I got, I loved being on the road and I'd miss, I'd miss whoever I was dating, but it was still very exciting and very like, oh, this is fun. And then it'll be fun to get back home and blah, blah. And now, you know, I, I just end up being on the road and like missing home. And it's yeah. not as, it's like, it, it's, if I were, you know, selling out five nights a weekend at, at improvs and funny bones. Well, that would make it a lot more fun, I think, but to, but to still be, there was something fun about the novelty of the experience early on. But now when you're doing one nighters or kind of C clubs for the weekend and you're away from like your comfort and, and, and you're questioning whether like, well, back then I had hope. So of course it felt worth it. It was both new. So that made it exciting. And also there was hope, which made it like feel purposeful now i feel like it's neither it's neither new nor do i have a particularly large amount of hope for like oh this gig is gonna break me or i'm gonna network or connect and make these things i just kind of go i got a good hour that i'm working on and i hope you like it and maybe i'll sell some merch and i'll feel you know fulfilled and 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 not to get too deep into the psych psychology stuff in my in my youth you know the, the the reason i started seeing uh and here's a good here's a good example. Not to, to when I get a cameo order, and I've said this before, I can be in the worst mood about my comedy career. But when I get a cameo order, that is literally like somebody saying, "I want to pay you to make me and my family laugh." It is a very direct request, sure. and it like Laura has seen this like. It's like a shot. It's like a, it's like a drug. It's like an injection immediately. I'm like, God, comedy said, Hey, somebody likes me. And then I like go do like an eight minute cameo and they write a nice review. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's what it's about. Yes. And I like, I'm like picked up and it's, it's really weird. But the, but you know, I started seeing a therapist many years ago um, because I had cheated on a, a, a girlfriend that I was, that, that was just, you know, just a superb person, a superb match. And that ended. And, but before that relationship, I had been with somebody who I considered uh, in hindsight, a very bad person. And I never cheated. I never 
never strayed, never had any interest in straying. And even though I wasn't really that happy, I was like very committed. So I spent the first several years of, of, of therapy just trying to figure that out. Like, what is that about? And so I've noticed like once it kind of clicked, sort of when I would go out after shows, it would, <laughs> it's like a funny fucking thing, but it's, it, it's real. I used to just be like, oh, I want to go out because I want to be in the bar. I want some, I want uh, men and women to say, oh my God, good show. And then you want like one nice looking woman to come up to you and and not even say something dirty, but just give you that vibe. And I was like, oh, I want that vibe. I want, I want this woman to be like, oh my God, you were so funny. Can I get you a drink? Like how long are you in Just, and I never fucking, other than one time, never fucking fell for that shit. Never like, cause I was like, I had this mindset of like, thank you, ma'am, but comedy, I gotta keep comedy pure. Sure. <laughs> and now when I go out after a show, usually it's like, oh, I want to hang with fans. Like it's a genuine, like, it's not like a need. It's more like I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative right. of, of the fans coming out to see me. Not, oh, I want to see if any of these fans want to fuck. And, <laughs> not, and not that I'm going to, but just literally just knowing that, just knowing that a woman who's at your show might want to get with you is like enough for me to be like, oh, that feels so good. But I, I don't even need that. But what will happen to me is if if I will get sleepy when I go to a bar after a show. And I remember discussing this with my therapist. I'm like, what is that? Is And she goes, that could be like your body, literally like your subconscious being like, don't do it. We're shutting operation shut down. Uh-huh. And it's not like I'm talking, just being in that environment that I used to love. Like, oh, it's a bar and I just killed. I just killed for an hour and oh man. And I'll just be like, man, that's why I always joke on the road now. You can tell when it's like, Back in my hotel with some soft batch and a glass of milk. Yeah. That's like my, all right, let's like, I've already been told to shut it down. <laughs> sure. No, yeah. Well, back back to the cameo and the family being happy. That still does something for you, right? The, the practice of doing doing comedy. You still love that, right? Yeah, because it's like, but I, but yes, Yes, I because I don't even know why at this point, but I it's there are so and I I talk about this a little bit on uh, on Rain on Your Parade uh, multiple times to the chagrin of Mike, but I I think we are losing something in comedy. Like I think comedy is becoming this dumping ground for people who don't want day jobs, who want to rig algorithms, who just like, yeah, my friends think I'm funny. Like I entered comedy as odd as it may sound completely humble. I said, my friends think I'm funny. I have no idea if I can do this. I'm curious. I didn't go, my friends think I'm funny. So I said, I better get up there. You, You sometimes have conversations with people who are like, like they're almost like, yeah, no, I knew I was gonna, it's like, you did? Like I got up out of curiosity. Like I make my friends laugh. I'm kind of curious if I can make strangers laugh. Cause I, right. I already grasped that it's a different thing to make strangers laugh than to make your friends laugh. But I, I think my favorite part is like when I come up with a joke, mm. um, like when I know I've got one, that's good. Like even before I do it, cause once I do it, if it hits, that's just confirmation. Right. But when I write something and I go, oh, that's fucking good. 
that to me is the that's the exciting thing like i would compare it to you know a woman wanting to see you again like mm -hmm. it's that kind of feeling like when i write a joke it's like yes the other stuff that comes after that is in many ways more fun and exhilarating sure but that that anticipation that comes from like oh she wants to go out again yes yeah. that's how i feel when i've when i've come up with something that i'm like based on experience i'm like oh i'm 95% sure that's a good one yeah you mm -hmm. can always be wrong but like you do it enough i know when i come up with an idea where i go oh that's good that's that's good and yeah. that so it's really at this point kind of independent of audience even though that is getting that validation and confirmation is nice. I trust, you know, I don't have to say, I don't think I have to say this out loud, but I will. I trust my opinion on comedy more than just about anybody, including the audience. <laughs> it's that old, like when, when Andy Pitts was on and I was telling him about like how, I remember when, before we knew about Bill Cosby, where Mark Maron said, Bill Cosby decides what's funny. And when you decide as a comic, you're like, this is funny. And you're able to disseminate that to an right. audience. That's that's when you know you're you're working. You're doing your thing. You're working at a high level. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you see you saw the W. Kamau Bell series on Cosby? I did. I did. I just I remember watching that and going, OK, I'm convinced. I was like fairly convinced before, but I wasn't like maybe I was I was one of the many excuse makers but not like defiantly mm -hmm. i was just like well maybe it was the culture maybe it was the times like yeah. hey man it's 1975 and i'm a celebrity like this is sure. how we get down but it was but i always i found it so funny i was like horrified and then they showed clips from bill cosby himself and i just started laughing and i was like that's how you know he was funny yeah because you know, this is like we're at, we're basically at his rape trial, and then they're like, "Do you mind if we play some clips from Bill Cosby himself?" And I'm like, "Not guilty." <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yes, it's so funny because like I remember my first, I did that Gotham uh, Gotham Comedy Live set. That was my first TV set or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you don't count it, count Staten Island Public Television. Uh, <laughs> And I remember I bought myself a ticket to see Bill Cosby before all the shit went down. And I think oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a copy of The Last of Us Part One for PlayStation 3 <laughs> for my celebration. The week he, I watched him do like two hours, just no opener, just demolished. And it was just amazing. And then that Saturday, that Hannibal Burris tape came out and it was just like it was over. And right. I just felt, and I always say, I felt like Indiana Jones sliding under the door, like, oh, like a closing door. Like I whoo, dodged a bullet. You know, I finally. You you, you grabbed your, your Jello pudding pop right yeah, before the like, door slammed. Yep. <laughs> I was like, well, got to see him. It sucks. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Rain on Your Parade and uh the the revamping of your pod because sure. i really i enjoyed righteous prick uh <laughs> but i think rain on your parade it's almost like a, a another you and it's right. a little more it's a little more vi vibrant and you're you're 
I feel like I, I really like, and I've told you this before. I just liked how your banter with, with Mike and the way he's, mm. you know, I got to give him some credit the way he's oh, yeah. shaping the show. And it's, it's kind of bringing out a, a different you one that I, no, man, I know. Hey, of. it's like cold play. They were really critically acclaimed and dreary. And then they met up with Rick Rubin and okay. sold out a little bit, but became mega stars. There you go. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'll take it. I'm in my Viva La Vida phase of the Covan cold play. <laughs> but I, um, yeah, I think, well, I wanted the original reason I got together with him was I was like, okay, I'm still doing comedy. I don't want any wasted energy if mm -hmm. I can help it. Like, so my podcast is kind of frozen where it is. So I don't have the the technical know-how or the equipment, but I knew he was independently producing things. So I said to him, like, would you be willing to produce my show if we like revamped it so that I could maybe have more tighter content and, and more visual stuff and, and help me promote it? Because like I said, I don't want to do things just to keep doing them. If they, they either have to give me money or expand my reach is is kind of the goal like i don't want to just stay where i'm at and so he said sure so we i took like more months off than i expected but you know he got some nice artwork done for it and i thought we'd bring he liked the concept of righteous prick that i originally had when i explained it to him i was like you know now it's just me kind of sometimes funny sometimes depressing always honest and uh but i said originally it was like each week i would just take a topic and like interview somebody or discuss it and be like, here's why I think that top, that subject is shitty or overrated. Mm -hmm. And he said, I kind of like that. I kind of like, you should get a little bit back to that. That would maybe be kind of a hook and a focus. So that is sort of, you know, obviously there's banter and we go on and off uh, topic, but it's, that's quite been the framework. But the, the thing with, with working with him, not only as a producer and I trust him, like I, you know, he, I will make jokes on air, but I trust him to know, you know, he's not trying to like kill my voice, but he's trying to structure my voice, you know, into, into the best possible podcast product. And he gives me somebody to perform for. Yeah. Um, and I think, so I don't get trapped sometimes, as you know, from the old podcast, that was maybe a little bit more of a back of the room podcast. Like, so comics and people who just really want to know sort of nitty gritty, whether it's funny or depressing. Whereas this, I think has a much broader, if we can reach more people, it's, it's a much broader show in terms of who it might appeal to um, week to week, like righteous prick. There'd be a week where tons of people would like an episode. And then like, I'd have my friends going like, dude, it's getting kind of fucking to be a real downer. Yeah. Um, where, but, and I remember, um, I would have my friend Mike Payne on righteous prick once, once in a blue moon. Panye and yeah, Panye. And I, I loved having him on because we would talk politics and pop culture and comedy. And we were often of similar mind, but he gave me somebody who I knew and respected for me to kind of perform for. And I feel like that's what Mike gives me is that I feel like I have an audience of one that I don't want to drag down or, or, or even though I'm, I'm, I'm honest and I'm giving my opinion, it keeps me upbeat because, you know, in those moments, it's like, Oh, like me, Mike, <laughs> you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to drag you down. Like, so let's, let's keep, you know, it's more fun to see you laughing than to see you concerned. <laughs> sure. No, it, it's working a lot. Cause I mean, 
one episode in particular, I think it was in the fall. I was doing a gig upstate and you guys were talking and I was driving back listening to you guys. And I think it was just about music, rock and roll stuff. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know, I knew of the acts you were talking about, but I didn't know their work. And it was still an interesting conversation. It was like a great episode. Oh, cool. And I didn't have to be a scholar on any of those artists to, right. to understand what you guys were talking about. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been happy with it. Um, one sure. thing though, one thing you guys did when you were talking about the Jersey, like by last week or something, you're like, yeah, I hung out with my friend, Chris, he came to the Bill Burr show and we were stuck in that lot. That wasn't my fault. I didn't say it was your fault. I, I know, said I know. It was I very know. nice of him to drive, but the structure, I said like basically the way they yeah. built that place, it like, it makes, it makes be like, you're like, we can walk show. faster because it's such a poorly constructed uh, parking area. We like, should have ate at that one of those bars and let it die down. Yeah. Next but, time. Cause yeah, yeah. Part, like Prudential, I'm sorry. And I was just at, uh, I was just at Madonna. That's going to be this week's podcast. Um, but I had gotten Laura like floor seats. So we were in mm -hmm. the Delta lounge, an area I've never been in, in, in Madison square garden. It's very okay. swanky, very nice, but you feel like as soon as you walk in, you're like, oh, okay, value. Okay. At least, yeah. at least, you know, while you're robbing me, you're, you're doing it with velvet gloves for this sure. expensive experience. Prudential, we had floor seats for Elton John, which were like, I don't know, at least plus? 150 bucks more yeah. than the Madonna seats. And you feel like you're walking through like the loading dock to get to the floor. Like there's nothing. Like Prudential it is, is so cold. bad. It's cold. It's like it has this unfinished feel. We went to a playoff hockey game there last year, not on the lower level, like a but I'm like, is there any part of this arena that's nice? <laughs> like, is there any part where you're like, oh, sweet, this is pretty cool? Now that you mentioned that, I felt that way about when I went to see Bill Burr uh, with you guys. You know, you guys were in other seats, but you then, were on. You were on the. Were you on the floor? I was for on that? the. I was on the right. floor for Burr and on the floor for Erica Badu. A little more homier than God. I'm going through puberty. Homier. Uh, <laughs> More than uh, what's the where the Nets play? Uh, Barclays. Barclays is kind of cold to me too. Do you think cold? So? But a lot. I think a lot nicer. MSG oh. hate. We can all hate on James Dolan, of course, but like, mm -hmm. man, MSG looks great and the Sphere looks great. So if he's got a sex traffic somebody to Harvey Weinstein, I'm willing to make that deal. Do you do you prefer that? Okay, who's like um. One of your favorite artists is doing both MSG and Prudential. You'd go to MSG. Oh, from from now on, um, it would be MSG unless you know the only advantage is sometimes Prudential is like, oh, these tickets are sixty cheaper. bucks cheaper. Yeah, per. But honestly, it's even easier for me to get to MSG. Like MSG, I get on the train and it drops me off at MSG. Prudential, it's like go to Newark walk like it's actually it's not more convenient for for a non-driver um true, yeah. 
but MSG is just, it's such, it is such a better arena than, and I don't understand because Prudential, it's like you get all the big musical acts. Mm -hmm. You have the New Jersey Devils who are like three times Stanley Cup champs. Like you have all the reason to have a state of the art and people complain the same way about MetLife. You know, football fans, they're like, it's like one of the worst football stadiums. Like I didn't know that. It's also very bare. It's I, I've only been there for a f- one football game. It's very bare bones. Like it's it's it just feels like they're almost saying, yeah, we don't. What I mean, where else are they going to go? Let's just make the cheapest arena possible, and they'll still sell it out. So who cares? It's so um, close to me. I never really thought about it that way. My my old boss used to give me preseason tickets. She actually gave me tickets to Monday Night Football a few years back. And um, never really had a problem. Oh, and I'm not like I'm not yeah. saying like I, you know, all the things I've watched there. I saw Guns and Roses there twice. I've seen uh-huh. the Giants. I took my nephew and his friends to a Giants game last, not this season, but last season. And I just sat there and was like perfectly fine. I wasn't like what a dump, but it's like when you realize for certain things when you're paying top dollar, and then you see other cities and states their arenas and stuff you know you're like what are we doing here like this is this is like basically new york's second arena and stadium and first stadium for 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 football why isn't it like at least look at what the dallas cowboys did like Mm -hmm. they 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 haven't fucking won anything there but they built they sort of built something um in accordance with their stature as as a major as a major football team Right, right, and yes. two football teams play. That's the other thing. Two teams play there, so it's like, yeah, shouldn't you have double the revenue, like double the double the stakes to make it like awesome instead of like not instead of one of the worst? Yes, yeah, one in the middle in the middle of like the yeah, it's not they had room. Mm-hmm. I guess they put that. I've never been to uh, American Dream. Have you ever been there? No, I want to go. I want to. We should go. Yeah. Walk around. Um, I want this and one of the main other main reasons I wanted to have you on, I wanted to talk movies. I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe what you thought about the Golden Globes. Um how'd you cause I don't think I've heard you talk about Joe Coy's um monologue. I just thought I didn't I didn't me personally, I just didn't like the way he threw the writers under the bus, but yeah, I don't even think he bombed. And I think he's owned up at least to that. Like he is, he has apologized for that, but yeah, no, that was the one I I've seen Bill Maher do that also, where he's like, you, you, you get paid the millions of dollars. You got to take the hits. Like that, that's, that's you take the hits because you get all the glory, you get the most money. So you take the hits. Like, where's the risk? If you're like, I didn't even write that guys. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> and that was the thing. Like I worked with Joe Coy and he's, he was very nice to me. And I remember seeing him at Corolla's show years later and he had remembered me, which I thought was nice, but he's always, he, he was, I never had anything but nice interactions with him. Yeah. And I think he's funny. Yes, he is. But what's funny is like, I was in like a month before he got named as like golden globes host. I was in LA and I was on a show at the laugh factory. And that was the show where, where I made Amber Rose laugh. Oh, wow. Um, and she said to, uh, I think, you know, Mateen, right? Yes. 
Yeah, he said, he texted me after and he said, Amber just told me that biracial dude was killing me. Wow. And I was like, yes, come on. Yes. Is it too late to amend my my five hall passes? Oh. <laughs> um, and, but later on in that show, you know, like Joe Coy is obviously of a stature that if he walks into any club, he can just go, can I get on stage? But he was doing that thing where I I like it when, and I think Chappelle probably does this. I like it when stand-up comics, even when they're famous, they have work to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not yeah. just like, let me riff for 40 minutes and see what happens. Sure. It's like, come in with the bits you want to do at least, even if you mm -hmm. got to work them out. Like, not like, what are you doing, man? Like, fuck, come on, fuck yeah. you. Why are you doing that? Come on. And my friend Nick, mm. <laughs> when we were driving away, mm. he just kept impersonating Joe Coy, like, yelling at the crowd like in a playful way yeah but that there were no jokes and he just kept going fuck you why why are you the, why are you even here no fuck you no look at how hot your girl is fuck you fuck no i hate you and i it had me dying that's and what he was see, doing doing his set like just you know it yes kind of but like in a like i said in a playful way he wasn't sure. like getting in anybody's face he was just like like i said like your girl like your girl's so hot like fuck you why are you so mad like look at your girl bro like yeah fuck why aren't you laughing what the fuck like this kind of whiny kind of oh, shtick huh. and I, it kind of made me think of that when he was like not doing great at the golden gloves i was like yeah. man if this dude could curse he'd be like fuck you taylor swift like i'm a fan why why aren't you laughing <laughs> um but no I thought his jokes were fine, except yeah. when he, he just didn't roll with it. He could have done a joke about how he was in a movie that bombed. I feel like Rod might have suggested that on mm -hmm. his show. The, his like, own movie he did, yeah. Because he's... You could easily start with a few... Because Joe Coy is big in comedy. He's right. not big in, like... He hasn't crossed over the way a Chris Rock... Right. Chappelle, Louis C.K. have like where they're known to people who don't know comedy. Yeah, he's he's huge in comedy right. and he's medium in the entertainment world, but he's not like to the person who's just tuning into an award show. They're gonna be like, "Who's this guy?" Who's that guy? Yeah. He, he didn't kind of introduce himself um, really, and he threw his writers on the. But like the jokes were fine. It, it's it's yeah. a kind of weird. It was it should have been like mostly a non-story. Um, I agree. I thought I watched just in to, in comparison. I watched John Mulaney set when he did the Governor's. I think it's yeah. where Angela Bassett got. Um, hey, Wakanda, everybody! He was fun. Like he was funny. Yeah. Like it was a funny set, and it sure. was just like he talked. He was self deprecating. He talked about how he didn't get young officer in some movie, and you kind of got to like be self-deprecating a little bit sure i yeah. think taylor swift didn't do him any favors no. it might have just been a bad moment but let me and and i have defended taylor swift i think she's a pretty person a talented person a hard-working person doesn't deserve all the shade she seems to get for no yeah. reason but i think if that were a bigger comedian in the pot if if chappelle were hosting chris rock were hosting and made the same joke, I think she would have put on her, <laughs> yeah, right, like, and then done a little dance with her crew. Like, I th like, I think she, I think he was like not 
he hadn't earned her we're all big entertainers here i'll right. play along and i just i was i was surprised because the joke was really tame mm -hmm. and she looked displeased not just kind of like huh but like like i'll get you for this joke boy <laughs> and it was like what <laughs> this is a pretty this is a this is a pg tap tap on the shoulder this isn't yeah. like a hardcore mean joke in any way and that's i guess but, that's what everybody's like who the fuck is he yeah and i love i always love that it's it's that's the way like when i'll see it like you know some comedian or music artist will be at like the wellmont theater in montclair and mm -hmm. invariably in the comments will be somebody going who's this well they're playing the fucking theater you loser yeah that's who they are yeah. like even if you don't know who they are uh they're they're playing a you know six hundred seat theater and you're not. So who are you? <laughs> right. You look him up. I'm like, oh, that guy's pretty good. I've never even heard of Joe Coy. Okay, that's fine. He's a hugely successful like, bordering on arena selling act. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's a funny motherfucker. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit before I let you go. I want to talk a little bit about um the Oscar nominations and just the buzz. Hell yeah. Around even if we just talk about the four the acting categories, but the big thing, my big big snub was Greta Lee not getting nominated. Yes. But everybody, everybody just seemed to be up on like Barbie for Margot Robbie not getting nominated, Greta Gerwig not getting nominated. I don't know that I was surprised that this film didn't that I was surprised that it went as far as it did. Are you? What are your thoughts on all of this? Um, I I really liked Barbie. I left Barbie, you know, when I saw it opening night. I was just like, man, that was fucking funny and fun. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said to Laura, I said, what I said to you before you record, I said it wasn't a perfect movie, um, but when it was good, it was great. Like when mm -hmm. it was good, it was it was on fire, like humor humor wise for me. Yeah. Um, I think sadly, I think this will hurt ryan gosling's chances as like a dark horse candidate like i think now it's definitely going to robert downey jr but i would have probably yeah. placed a bet on gosling as kind of like a dark horse candidate to kind of represent barbie because he did he had he was very good i think his role is as big a credit to the writing you know mm -hmm. as it is to his performance um but I had no problem with, I would have had no problem with Margot Robbie getting nominated and I have no problem with her not getting nominated at all. Same. I think Greta Gerwig was the much bigger snub for Barbie because even if you don't think it was a perfect movie or a great movie, she, she executed a detailed specific vision into the biggest movie of the year. Um, it was as much a feat of hers as it was any, it was her, it was her movie. And if you think the movie is good, she deserves the credit. If you think the movie is great, she deserves the credit. And if it's getting a best picture nomination, the, by virtue of Barbie getting a best picture nomination, given that there are many uh, very traditional Oscar type movies nominated, the fact that Barbie crashed the party as big as it did, yeah. speaks to her. So I think I, I would not have nominated Margot Robbie, not as an insult, not as a diss, 
Um, but I would have nominated Greta Gerwig for sure for, for, for best director. Um, but I would, I, like I joked on Twitter, but I meant it. I thought the two biggest snubs were Greta Lee and Greta Gerwig. Um, yeah. and if Greta Van Fleet had written a song that was up for an Oscar, they probably would have not gotten nominated either, making it a, a perfect sweep of the Gretas. Um, did she win anything for Lady Bird? I think she won a screenplay for Lady Bird. Yeah. Which I actually did. I, I thought that movie was overrated. I thought it was like good. Oh, no. she Did she win? Let me see. Uh, where the fuck? Okay, wait. No. Oh, she never won. Oh, okay. okay. I thought she. Okay. That's why I was kept. The initially, I was like, well, she got one one before. But she didn't. Okay. Yeah. And I, I thought past lives, just given how much buzz it had and that it's been yeah. kind of like, along with American fiction, sort of like the big indie indie film winner across the board. I'm very surprised it, it only got two nominations. And that's another one. Just like I would say Barbie is an execution of Greta Gerwig. If you nominate Barbie for Best Picture, you're doing it on the strength of what Gerwig did. Similarly, past lives, though there are good performances by all three main actors. If you nominate past lives, I feel like you're nominating it based on the strength of Greta Lee, not to yeah. diminish the other two performances, which were very good. But I feel like you're nominating it because of her, performance. her as she the anchor it. for the movie. So yeah. how do you separate that and go, yeah, I liked past lives. Why did you like past lives? no no particular reason yeah <laughs> just like barbie is like wow who made this happen who made a fucking toy into the biggest movie of the year greta mm -hmm. gerwig did so i think we sometimes these people sometimes seem to separate why so, like like oppenheimer if christopher nolan had not been nominated for best director you would have been like how right impossible this is his this is him. This has every hallmark, trademark signature of Christopher Nolan in it. Like I, I joked to Laura after we saw it, where I was like, it felt the first half of that movie felt like, what if I make a movie about some scientists, but it feels like the dark night? I was like, oh shit, they're writing on a blackboard. Let's go. He <laughs> <laughs> they're writing on a blackboard <laughs> he made that shit compelling dude that's what i'm saying like yeah. that's what i'm saying yeah. like, oppenheimer is his whether you think it's his best movie or not i think as much as i, I dark knight is my favorite movie of his but i would inception. say if i was saying best and in, oh and inception i mean inception i think should have won screen that should have been his first oscar for screenplay for writing that instead of king's speech but um this is his best movie, I think, in terms of like, if I had so, the same way, who's the best rock band of all time? Well, you have to say the Beatles if you're a rock fan, even if they're not your favorite. You just go the Beatles because of their influence, because of what they did. Mm -hmm. This is his best movie, whether or not it's your favorite movie. It is it's the height of of Nolanness, yeah. you know, executed to perfection in a movie about scientists and yes, weighty issues. But he really. I, you know, if so, my point is if you nominated Oppenheimer for best picture and not Christopher Nolan for best director, that would have been 
as absurd to me as nominating. If you don't nominate Barbie for Best Picture, so be it. But if you and nominate it, Barbie for Best Picture, how do you leave off Greta Gerwig? And who would you take out of this, out of these five? Trier well, the, he, the problem is I have my personal buy. Like, like Yorgos Lanthimos is kind of like the Tim Burton in this category where it was like a very mm. signature. There was a lot of, he made a lot of choices. And I can see, yeah. you know, if you like poor things, then you got to like the direction. Zone of Interest I know a lot of people, like a lot of critics love that, think that's just a masterpiece. I wouldn't have nominated it because I just wasn't blown away by it. I, 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 was, I thought it. it was, I thought it was great art, but I didn't particularly love it as a movie. I get what it was doing. I respect what it was doing, but I didn't leave there going, man, that was, you know, just, just me. And I get why some people might leave going, oh my God, what a, what a what an amazing piece of film! What, what we've just seen something so original and different. I get it. Right. Not for me. I would have left off the zone of interest director. And as good as Anatomy of a Fall was, I would I would I would. Uh, but if I only have to take out one, I would take out Zone of Interest. Um, but I would probably kick out Anatomy of a Fall also, and I'd throw I'd throw uh, whoever directed Greta Lee. And Greta Gerwig. I would have had, you know what, man? I would put Past I, Lives I and Barbie right. in there and leave. As much as I thought Killers of the Flower Moon was way too long, it, it was, was a, a very movie. impressive movie. I thought, you know, one of the best scenes in that movie was when the mom, the mom died and her, mm -hmm. and her, like, uh, her brothers and sisters yeah. were like, come on. I thought that was fucking beautiful. It's, that was like, the, Go ahead. I thought you were gonna say something. Did you pause, JL? Did you freeze? Oh, you can't hear me. I thought you froze. You, you froze. Oh no, for no, no. Sorry, I'm here. Um, the movie I would have. Oh, I just got told my internet connection is unstable. Okay, am I coming through though? You're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, Society of the Snow on Netflix something's getting bumped for that in many categories for me if if i'm able mm -hmm. to vote because society of the snow i thought was amazing and the directing of that movie like that was a i mean i just watched they netflix obviously probably had high expectations for it because they also just put out like the making of documentary on netflix okay and I man Man, was that it was that impressive? Yeah, it's 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 I I really think it's a great movie, and I'm 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 sad that it didn't get kind of you know it's already you, you have multiple foreign films in the in the best movie category, so yeah. you know it doesn't really have a chance at winning anything. But it was it was great, and I would have I would have nominated that director for 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 one of the five slots. I did, yeah, I would have. I'd probably. I think Past Lives was better than Four Things. And I thought so. uh, I I I definitely I definitely liked it more. You like you like yeah. I mean I thought because I was thinking about it. I I always say that you could call poor things Emma Stone fucking. Oh yeah. And then you know like it, it everybody because everybody was like kind of sicing Emma Stone from Sundance or wherever it started, and I'm like okay I really want to see this, and I saw it. Emma Stone's great. But I'm like, it's nobody's beating Greta Lee. I don't. I haven't seen a performance that was better than hers. 
And let me tell you something, you know, and, and, and I cur I'll tell you this right now. I know when I jinxed Greta Lee, how did you, do I said her tears at the end. Oh, uh, I don't want to spoil. Well, well, I mean, she cries. it's a, it's a romantic film. Her tears at the end. I said, greatest tear ending since Tom Hanks and Captain Phillips, which was oh, my wow. favorite performance of 2013. Neither one got nominated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember seeing, I think I told you, I remember seeing Captain Phillips and 12 Years a Slave the same day. <laughs> and I was like, I saw 12 Years a Slave first. And I was like, okay, she would tell, you know. And then when Tom Hanks at the end of that movie with those tears, I was like, ooh, that might be like Larry Bird, like just shitting on people's, raining on yeah. everybody's parade. Uh, and uh, I know, and Barkat Abdi should have won for that instead of Jared Leto. That movie was robbed all over the place, as far as I'm concerned. Did you watch him in The Curse? I haven't watched The Curse yet. We're that's that's up next for us, and when, okay. when we're done with some movies. Curious to know your thoughts on that one. Yeah, wait, I... who's in The Curse? Barkab Abdi. Oh, he uh, is. Yeah, he's in oh, it. Oh, good, good to know. All right, fella, get, get get some work. And uh, what's the guy, the main guy? Na Nathan Na Fielder. Nathan Fielder, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I've, I'm i not mad at these nominations, really. Uh, they kind of played out like I thought they'd play out. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like Cillian, is it Cillian or Killian? Killian. Killian. I feel like he's going to win. Well, I liked the holdovers and, and I did too. L Laura is not a fan of Paul Giamatti, but she really liked him in that movie. And I said, speak well of my billions fellow castmate. Your cat, yeah. I thought he was really good in the holdovers, really fun. And I think all nominations for Maestro. I just didn't love Maestro at all. It was, it was fine to me. Um, but I think, you know, there could always be a, a a campaign for Jeffrey Wright as a respected actor. Like, hey, we're going to give Oppenheimer director, picture. Um, he's, not, huh? he's not. I don't think he's going to win. No, no, I don't either. I, I, I think I speak too often in like gambling terms where I'm like, Jeffrey Wright might be a good value bet. Like, in other words, mm -hmm. his odds might be like, you know, 50 to one or something. So you're like, Oh, I'll place a bet on that. If that's, if, if it's like, he's that big a long shot, Yeah. but it's probably, I mean, Killian Murphy and Paul Giamatti have basically won all the major awards. Um, right. I think Oppenheimer, no disrespect to Paul Giamatti, but I think Oppenheimer is worthy of a kind of sweep of a sort sure. of, it is of it, it is. being the night of Oppenheimer. I think it's a big enough movie <laughs> from a great enough director that it would if if it won eight awards, I'd be like, that's hey, it's a good movie to represent your year. Nobody's gonna look back and go, remember that time they gave Oppenheimer that piece of shit all those awards? What a joke! Right. <laughs> I think it's it's just Christopher Nolan and company. It's it's his time, and that's he gave us he gave us a lot of Florence Pugh. Oh, he sure he sure did. I mean that was '80s raunchy comedy level nudity. For I was like, her. "Oh, does this need to be? Does this need to <laughs> the, be here?" <laughs> the, the 
I understood when she was like naked in his bedroom. Yes. To, I read the biography uh -huh. and it was like, she was a very free spirit sexually. So that's conveying that she's a very confident. I'm, but that, that, that testimony scene, I was yeah. like, Oh, thank you. Bonus. I was content. like, I'm not mad Thanks, at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad at it, Chris, you know, it's, it's, you know, but I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's his time. I mean, I, I just thought, now, Past Lives, American Fiction, two of my favorites of the year. Mm -hmm. I just felt like if you if you think about American Fiction in the way that, uh, like, you think about Barbie, how I thought Margot Robbie was fine. She was great. Jeffrey Wright's always good. Sterling K. Brown had the showy, the showiest role. Without and, being really showy. Right, exactly. Yeah. It was just one of those, like, black people by the cake there's plays like that and it's just like it's just black people existing not as dramatic not as heavy-handed and when i say heavy-handed i don't want to demean waves but where sterling k brown was the lead and one of the leads in that mm -hmm. which i thought was a terrific drama on the level same level as manchester by the sea if you will but yeah, I that... love the first half of Waves. Like I saw that in the theater. Oh, so great! And oh, you saw the... it in the theater? Yeah, we. we I didn't it, know that. See, Did we no, talk you suppress you suppress all these memories of me supporting black art. I so didn't the know narrative that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I saw it in Montclair, like when I moved in, like it, like like oh. like early into to living in um in 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 Bloomfield. Okay. Uh, and I because the first half of it felt like a great episode of euphoria like it was it was kind of it, the same yes, vibe as euphoria yes, yeah season one euphoria when yes. euphoria was outstanding oh gee euphoria. And yeah. yeah and it it gave me like so for the first like hour of waves i was like oh this movie is awesome sure. and then when it focused on you know the, the 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 black woman the sister i was like i'm bored i love her though <laughs> Taylor Ruck. she's she's um doing a play for anybody who doesn't know me that was me being purposely flippant not not my genuine feelings but i just found it i understood waves the symbolism of it but i was just yeah. like yeah but you took me on such a ride for the first hour of sure. the movie she's so good man i i'm she's doing a play in brooklyn i think it's a transplant from a show that she did in london and I'm gonna try to see it. Tickets are expensive, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it happen. Um, actor in a supporting role. I want to because I think yeah. this is the strongest category. I agree. I think everyone here could have an argument for why they should win. I agree a hundred percent. I thought I De Niro was actually great in Killers of the Flower Moon. Like, like, mm -hmm. you know, he's he's still capable if you give him good work of being Robert De Niro. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, like, I wasn't surprised by anything he did in that film. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's Robert De Niro. He's going to do it. The most surprising thing to me, and I think we did talk about this briefly off mic, Mark Ruffalo in Poor yes. Things. Not that he, not that it was like, like, he couldn't do what he did, but it was like, it's just like he took those risks. He took chances. He and it was like, okay. He said, if I'm going to lick, if I'm going to lick Emma Stone's tits, I got to bring it. Yeah. And so, he like he because he's like this is what I think we talked about. Mine. I've always thought of Mark Ruffalo as like Mr. Ernest indie actor. The, the sure. Hulk, the Hulk stuff aside, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
I'm the I'm I'm very like I'm indie cinema incarnate. I'm very in touch. I am in the I'm in the moment. I'm 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 you know like yeah. and this felt like he created a full comedic character and it was really funny. It was it right. was it was the funniest part of a sort of comedy. He was the funniest part. The cad, the rake, if you will. Yeah, he was, um, he was fantastic. But everybody, I thought, everybody in that category. But I think Robert Downey Jr., um, you know, I I wouldn't be mad if Gosling won for Barbie. I think now he has no chance because the only thing worse than him being nominated would be if he wins <laughs> for Barbie. Um, yeah. But he is like, you know, most people leaving that movie, you can talk all the Margot Robbie you want. People were talking about Ken and Ryan yes. Gosling's as a performance. Those songs, all of yeah, that. They talked about the movie and then they talked about Ryan Gosling. They didn't talk about the movie and Margot Robbie and, you know, America Ferrera. They talked about her monologue. Yeah. I think that's it's no true. disrespect, but I think it was kind of crazy that she got nominated. I mean, who, who got at actress in a supporting role uh i haven't seen nyad i saw it it's it's a you know what nyad is it it's it's a it's a solid inspirational sports movie but it's with women over 60 so it it you have an older voting base with the with the oscars and uh i it's not like a joke that they got the both of them got nominated but I would have been very content. I mean, it obviously fucked over May, December. Like they obviously took, you know, May, December was getting talked up a lot. And I don't think they got anything. I don't think so either. I think it got zero. That's more, I think Nyad, you know, I think Netflix, um, where was May, December? Was that on Netflix? It was. I think Netflix, see Netflix, they choose that they, they choose their, their, you know, horses that they're going to put their PR behind the most. And I think you can see Nyad, they might've made the calculation like eh, two women fucking a student versus two acting legends showing that you can still do it in your sixties and be strong and proud. I think they probably made the smart move because they got two nominations for Nyad. Mm -hmm. But I would have been, I was surprised to see any nominations for Nyad. <laughs> mm. You know, it's a very cool story and it's a very, like, you'll watch the movie and you'll go, oh, that was good. Like this, the way I felt about the uh, Zach Levy, um, uh, Kurt Warner movie, which I loved. That was <laughs> Like, good. I love that movie. That I liked it. Something about those stories always get, get you, but yeah. yeah so I, Nyad I, will, Nyad will be like, it's just, it's a nice and it's the cool thing about it, you know, if your market is like, hey, it's 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 actually an inspirational sports movie. Don't be fooled just because it's like a 60 year old woman mm -hmm. who isn't off. You know, that is not the the genre usually for inspirational sport, the, the the demo for inspirational sports movies. Yeah. 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 I'm not. And really... I think in that category, Divine Joy Randolph seems to be running the table. Really? Oh yeah, well she won the Golden Globe and she won, I think, the SAG Award. I think people were mad about that role because it was just like she was they said she was kind of like just uh there for them to be like You see that black woman, she doesn't have a chance in hell to have a good life. I think it was the New Yorker podcast, I okay. think, that say? talked about that. 
and and made the point. I, I I can't remember. I think it was the New Yorker podcast, but where they said she she went to the you know they were discussing the role, mm-hmm. and it was the idea like the way the director kind of told her like pain I guess presented it to her was like you know, you have this important role, but you have to remember to most of the school at this time in history, you would be an invisible character. Like Mm -hmm. we're not giving you more or we're not making this, we're not kind of trying to stretch too far out of reality. Like in terms of like this character, we got to remember it's like early 1970s prep school. Like the black woman wouldn't be the, you know, bold character. Like she's a- and it's and I thought I thought the you know I think the thing that gave so much gravitas to it was obviously the fact that her son had had been had gone to the school and died in Vietnam. Oh Jesus, I'm giving away spoilers here. Well, that's all right. Sorry, it's not like it's not the end of the movie. I'm not giving no. away like the it's a you... plot point in the first like third of the movie. Yeah, I don't know the the scene where she gets sad or angry at the Christmas party was just kind of like. Do we need that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's a strong, I don't think it's a particularly strong or compelling category, to be honest. I would have laughed mm. and loved if Florence Pugh had been nominated for Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> she could have gotten nominated for a good person, but that's Zach Braff and that movie made yeah, that me was cry. a nice movie. I like a, a little a little schmaltzy, but but, but that's but Zach a solid Braff. movie. He going yeah. he's gonna do that. And I and it fucking got me. When that was a nice movie. I yeah. watched it. I know you saw it in theater. I wait. I watch. I I recognize some of the sites. They were in a restaurant in Montclair, right? Uh, Faubourg, the French restaurant that's oh. like down the block from Fiamella's. Okay. I could tell. I was like, wait, where are they? And it was, but it was daytime. I usually see the restaurant at night, and I was like, wait, they're sitting in that restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was um, like he didn't call any of us to audition. No, but I just don't. I I, I'm I'm trying to think who who might have could have been in this category because these are obviously some of the bigger movies that are represented yeah, but I'm, I'm... um i really thought the color purple should have should have gotten more um i think Agreed. for sure that was just that movie was just kind of surprised the shit out of me i wasn't expecting yeah, I... it to be bad but i was just like i was pleasantly surprised like whoa that was uh amazing yeah, I would swap out a lot of Maestro nominations for the Color Purple nominations. I thought when I saw it, I was like, this is fine. But part of me feels like Bradley Cooper, it might be his time because he he's like this doing this auteur thing. He is, but he's too young. He's too young and good looking still. He's going to have to wait for that like 60 year old plays a racist uncle. <laughs> to get his first oh, Oscar. He's 50. He'll be 50. No, but he looks, but you know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he still kind of has like a handsome bro look, even though he's obviously now given, you know, he is far beyond the hangover days. He is like Mr. Serious, serious mm-hmm. film man. Uh, I, I think I, I stand by this. I think a star is born should have run the table in 2018. In my opinion, I, I thought that, he should have gotten at least. I mean, he won song. Technically, he has won an Oscar. Yeah. For for Shallow, but that was a really I good. literally would have voted for Sam Elliott, Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, and the movie if I had a ballot that year. That was re- that was a really good movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not too mad at anything. Just the Greta Greta Lee. Yeah, Greta Lee. I mean, that's a huge uh it's it's a it, like I said, it's a, it's a, the snub is because you've acknowledged a movie and then not the main reason why you like the movie. Yeah. Cuz I thought the best performances I've seen from from women were Tiana Taylor in 1001. And Can I Greta. ask you about that movie cuz I just recently watched it. I don't think you did. No, no, I'm saying, can I ask you a question? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I just watched it like two weeks ago on on Amazon Prime. Uh-huh. And can you explain the end of that movie to me? Because she kind of smiles in the car. Is she like the villain the whole time? Is that the point? Or is it like some deeper smile or something? She just basically kidnapped that kid. Right. And it wasn't hers. And she might have been a little off. She was off, obviously. Right, because when she le- because she was she was hugely manipulative, obviously. Oh yeah. And then when she's in the car going away, she just kind of starts smiling, and I was like, "Is that her just being like, I got away with it, or or?" I don't know. Maybe maybe it's for us to to wonder now. That right. You- but I thought that was a really great performance. The movie, kind of, I think maybe it was a script thing towards the end, but. That was a great performance. Uh, and for me, you know, I'm an A24 whore. Uh, A20 whore? <laughs> yeah. And that that was, I was like, okay, it lived up to the, exceeded the expectations. But that, and, that wasn't an A24, was it? Past Lives was A24. <laughs> oh, no, Past Lives. I thought you were saying 1001. Oh, no, no, I don't think Oh, so. yeah, no. Past, past Lives was, uh, I saw it, I had like, time to kill in Chicago and I went to see it and I just remember leaving and it was so funny because for some reason there were a lot of young people at the movie when I say young I mean like college age maybe where you at River East uh no I, it was it was uh the dine-in theater in downtown Chicago the AMC dine-in oh they got a dine-in now there it's oh, like wow. near the theater it's like near like the Chicago theater okay okay and it was um 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 the movie ends and I'm like, oh, oh, and I hear this like young woman who's like probably like 19 say to her friend, like, uh, I don't get it. And <laughs> yeah, I wanted to no. grab her and say, you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, You probably don't even have a first love yet. <laughs> yeah. One day she will. One day she will. Well, anything else you got? You got shows to plug or I think this oh. is good. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Like you said, I got, I got Princeton coming up. I got, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida coming up. Um, and then obviously I got two podcasts that are free. Um, and I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash JL Covan. Everything's on my website, jlcomedy.com links to all my social media and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I hope you'll, uh, you know, join something or follow something or, or whatever. JL, always a joy to talk to you on mic and off mic. Hell yeah. Thank you. Thank you for blessing this uh, <laughs> 700th episode. Yes. Everybody... The Pat Robertson of comedy, the 700 club. <laughs> <clears throat> My apologies, everybody, for the cold, but you got you still got a good uh, podcast. So, you know, what are you going to do? All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll talk to you next time. Take it easy, everybody.